This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. This is a rare double guest podcast. Later in the pod, Jesse Sanchez is going to join us. He's been in the Dominican Republic all week long checking out the MLB showcase down there. We'll talk about that and also Victor Victor Mesa becoming eligible to sign with the big league club. We'll talk about who the favorites are to get him and what we can expect from Victor Victor and his brother Victor Mesa Jr. as well. So that'll be the second half of the podcast. Before that, though, we're joined by Buddy Reed, Padres outfield prospect who's had a big 2018 season heading to the Arizona Fall League as well. Buddy, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. Buddy, obviously you're in the Padres system, and a lot of people right now consider that heads basically above everyone else as far as systems go. Just talk about um, overall, do you realize that day in and day out when you you know, you know started the year in advance day, you moved up to double-A, just the talent around you in that system? Oh, yes, uh, for sure. You know, I mean, uh, going into spring training, um, being the number one ranked uh, farm system, uh, Shoot, we had so many guys around me, like, for example, like Michelle Baez, uh, pitcher, six foot six pitcher, throws a, a heavy fastball, Adrian Mahone, Fernando Tatis, of course, everybody knows him. He was in Big League training. Josh Naylor, Austin Allen, all these guys, you know, um, playing with them in spring training and seeing where they went and broke camp, it, it was really cool to see. And then, like you said, starting in advance A, we had a solid team with starting pitchers like Reggie Lawson, uh, Adrian Mahone, like I said, Baez, like I said, and there's so many guys that it's hard to keep all the guys out. But at the same time, I mean, you know, uh, I know, and then everyone knows they're coming and they're, they're pushing um, these older guys to, to get to the big leagues. Uh, buddy, Jim Callis here. Question for you. Uh, you know, got off to uh, some of a struggle in 2017. And from what I've read, going to the Australian Baseball League helped you rediscover your swing and get going in 2018. What specifically uh, – did uh, did you change when you got to the Australian Baseball League that helped you uh, break out this year? Uh, yeah, you're right. Well, um, uh, my swing was pretty steep, and my and my barrel wasn't in the zone really long. So the biggest thing for me was um, was going before I went to the um, to, to Australia was was sitting down with a couple guys in Miami and just revamping my swing, making it compact, but also uh, keeping my barrel in the zone longer and getting on plane. Uh, with, with the ball longer, and that definitely helped me with my success uh, through the fall league and then in 2018. Buddy, so, you know, fast forward to now, and this offseason you're headed to the Arizona Fall League. Uh, yeah. You know, can you talk a little bit about maybe what are some of the things you, you are going to be paying attention to in that and how excited you are to be in that league, especially, you know, seeing the you know, you made the jump up to double A and, uh, you know, scuffled a little bit when, you know, moving, making that big leap, and maybe there are some lessons that you learned from, from your time in the Texas League that you're you're going to sort of uh, bring with you when you head to Arizona. Yeah, definitely. Uh, going to the Fall League and finding out I was going, is, it's a huge honor. Um, obviously not many guys go. 
And it just shows that hard work can pay off, and, and you can achieve things that you don't even imagine as long as you put your mind to it. As well, uh, like you said, going to the Texas League, it was a big jump, but at the same time, I feel like it is the same game. Uh, I think the talent uh, is obviously best in double-A. Um, there's a lot of great guys that get that call from double-A straight to the big leagues, which is pretty cool to see. Um, and some lessons that I'll take from double-A is, is don't try to change your game too much and don't put a lot of pressure on yourself. Obviously, you're one step closer and you're the whole, you're the whole one call away kind of thing. And so the big thing for me was, was learning and actually just observing more than anything. Uh, even when I scuffled, it's, you got to come to the ballpark every day with, with your A game, regardless of how you feel and regardless of how you do. Um, and you can do a lot more than just um, sw- swing the stick, uh, so to speak. You can you can play defense. You can be a good teammate, be a be a good leader. And so there's a lot more intangibles than just actually, you know, you know, uh, getting in the batter's box. And even when you have those rough days, those rough weeks and periods of time when you're not hitting, there's a lot of things you can do to impact the game um, from just the overall standpoint. And Going to the fall league now, I think that's what I'm going to take away is try to be a good leader. Um, for some guys, it may be a little lax. I mean, I don't know them, but we'll obviously create relationships. But it's to lead, lead by example, um, go about my business the right way, be a professional, represent the Padres, uh, myself and my family the right way, and, and pick the guys, the managers, and other players' brains on how they approach the game and learn from them because one thing I think is you could never stop learning in life and in baseball. And for those guys that have um, – stop learning that's where they're not getting over that curve that next step to get to to the big leagues or wherever they want to be in life so that's that's what i feel like i'm going to do and and stay and stick with as i as i go uh to the fall again the rest of my career buddy you're known for being a toolsy guy with with a, with a wide array of tools by my estimation you might be the best combination in terms of speed and arm strength you don't usually see that combination especially from a guy who played multiple sports who's a well-above-average runner and a well-above-average arm. How did you develop your arm strength? Because, I mean, you weren't a full-time baseball guy growing up. Have you always had that big-time arm, or or how did you develop that? Uh, To be honest with you, I I don't really know. I mean, like you said, um, I grew up playing, I think, eight sports um, throughout life, and then it took it down to three, soccer, hockey, baseball in in high school. And I think it was because I didn't play baseball every day that I had a lot of room to grow and to peak. And as well, I mean, I wasn't really – using my arms uh, as much, obviously, in a throwing motion as I would in baseball playing soccer and hockey. So I think, I guess it was always there, and it just grew more and more. The more I played, the more I got reps, and then obviously changing uh, the mechanics of how I threw a baseball because, I mean, obviously none of it was what it is now, but um, I think I just had a little bit of an advantage from guys that, you know, live in Florida and stuff that play year-round. I mean, I was not as baseball tired as much and things like that, but um, I think it's just progressing. It's grown as I've gotten older. Uh, buddy, you just mentioned that you played eight sports uh, growing up. I'm trying in my head to come up with eight sports. Yeah. Uh, I know soccer, hockey, baseball. I'm assuming maybe basketball, football. What yeah. I mean, curling? What's in there? What, 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 was, okay, number, so what was number eight? I'm going to them off. I'm going to count on my hands. So it's soccer, okay. hockey, baseball, basketball, football, lacrosse, tennis, golf. That's eight. I think that was eight. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well done. But yeah. I think Tim Tim's on to something. Maybe you need to try curling. <laughs> I, I shoot. I mean, I love watching the Olympics. Winter Olympics curling is a pretty fun sport. <laughs> so I, w- I want to talk a little bit about the, the multi-sport um, uh, thing, and then I'm going to let uh, Jim geek out on the Florida Gators. Uh, All right. We had, 
uh, because that's one of our favorite subjects. But uh, just in terms of those sports, I mean, we've we talked to guys before, uh, you know, who played multiple sports in high school. It's not often the baseball, hockey, uh, yeah. you know, soccer combination. Um, mm-hmm. But in, just in, in general, in terms of, you mentioned that because you weren't doing baseball year-round, did you know, you know, entering college and, and even entering the pro game that, you had some catching up to do. Did that allow yourself to maybe be uh, a little more patient while obviously wanting to uh, excel and produce and help your team and all that kind of thing, but knowing that maybe you had some, some catching up to do as a, as a Northeast guy who didn't focus on baseball only? Yeah, you know, um, going to high school uh, up in Rhode Island, it was tough, obviously, getting out on the baseball field. I mean, we had to shovel snow off the field at, in April and May, so it was, it was a little interesting. Uh, but at the same time, I also did have guys um, in in that area that also played baseball and are now um, in the minors and, and future big leaders like Tyler Beatty, who went to Lawrence Academy, and Rhett Wiseman, who went to DBNM. So they kind of understood the same thing. But for me, yeah, like you said, I did have a little bit of catching up to do, and I wasn't. Um, so I wasn't. I didn't really have to put as much pressure on myself just because I, I knew, as a lot of people say, in the whole trust in the process. But that I did have a process. I was finally sticking to one sport, which was baseball. Um, I was making a career out of it. Uh, and obviously I love the game, and I still do, and I'm always going to love the game. But uh, I think it definitely it definitely helped that um, I could go through it and, and learn the game more. And there was a lot of pieces that I didn't know about that I started to learn. And as well, I mean, people say, like, the whole age thing, like they're starting to call up younger guys and stuff like that. To be honest, for me, um, when I get to the big leagues, I don't care what age I am. Um, I'm going to get there and I'm going to stay for a long time. And I know that. And I trust in myself. I trust in, in the process. And for guys that are, I guess, that are older, I mean, shoot, I'm 23 years old. I don't really consider myself old. But for those older guys, uh, just don't give up on your dream. Um, just because you're old or older doesn't mean you can't do anything. Uh, and I think it's, it's just cool to see that, um, all the hard work ha- has been paying off, and it will continue to with the right mindset. But even though I'm a, a Georgia grad, I have a great admiration for the uh, the Florida baseball program. And uh, one of my favorite topics, we talked about Peter Alonzo with this last week, is yeah. how ridiculously talented the 2016 Gators pitching staff was. I mean, oh, there were five guys yeah. who wound up being first-round picks off that staff, and A.J. Puck, Dane Dunning, Alex Fiedo, Brady Singer, Jackson Kowar, Logan Shore was a second rounder. Sean Anderson was a third rounder. He had a big year this year in the minors. Uh, Scott Moss was a fourth rounder. He was in the bullpen, too. I think he led the minors and wins this year. And Michael Byrne was on that staff, and he became the best closer in college baseball and may get a chance to start with the Reds. So we could see nine big league starting pitchers, possibly, off one college staff, which is insane. Did you guys realize how good that staff was? And of all those pitchers, who do you think winds up being the best in the long run? And you can't say it's too tough to answer because Peter Alonzo did that. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm not going to copy Pete, but, uh, man, um, I think we did realize it in a sense. Um, getting all this, uh, the high, I mean, we got a lot of hype from um, – there are obviously guys, the writers in Baseball America, and, and we proved uh, a lot of you guys right in that we were one of the best teams in the in the country in college. Um, shoot, that's such a tough question. Oh, gosh. Nine pitches. Because like, it's hard because, I, I mean, how am I supposed to say one? If I play with the ball, I'm all just friends with them. You know what I'm saying? But, um, 
God. Wait, I'll reframe it. I'll reframe it for a second. Is, is there is there a guy that you've that you've faced since you've all turned pro that has uh, given you the the hardest amount of time and say like, boy, I wish I could be back on his team as as, a, as opposed to facing him. Uh, shoot, I haven't faced. Okay, so I faced Logan. I haven't faced Sean, and I haven't faced AJ, but obviously I faced him in school. I'd say in terms of stuff, Sean and AJ are the toughest two. And then Logan's got really good pitch ability. Bam, bam, good pitch ability, but they all have good pitch ability. I just wouldn't want to face AJ. Six foot seven lefty throwing 100 miles an hour. I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay. Who's got the best slider of those guys? Because, I mean, with Puck and Fido and, and, and Singer all have crazy good sliders. Yeah. Who's got the best slider? Sully says it's Fido. Really? I mean, yeah, Fido threw a slider a lot in college. But also Dane Dunning had a really good slider, and Sean has a really good slider-cutter thing, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know as well, because, I mean, I'm a lefty, so from a lefty perspective, it's, it's always coming into me, but um, – and AJ's working on slider. I, I say Sean or Dane Dunning sliders were um, pretty, pretty lethal. All right, I have one more Florida follow-up, buddy, before we get to the uh, the fastball segment. And that is, we mentioned we had uh, Peter Alonzo on last week, yeah. and I was actually watching your mic'd up segment from the Futures game today that uh, they put up on YouTube. Um, that is a great watch if anybody wants to go check that out. But the pure joy that you showed when Peter hit that blast in the Futures game, when he was coming around and you were jumping up and down, just talk about that. And I don't think every player takes gets that excited about a teammate doing something that well, but is that just part of your DNA that, that you're pulling for all these guys around you? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, I guess the biggest thing for me is, is building a relationship with guys knowing that they're going to last a lifetime and um, realizing that at the end of the day, we are playing a game. So it's should, it should meant to be fun. And I feel like I, I believe in the, the law of attraction. And if you try positivity for yourself, it'll happen around others. And, and just being being that happy guy. So, I mean, I pull for I pull for every single one of those guys um, on Team USA at the Futures game and Obviously, when Pete hit that home run, I was, yeah, I was ecstatic. Um, I don't know. That's, yeah, like you said, it is in my DNA. It's just how I am as a person and as a, as a baseball player. And I kind of like to think I'm just a, a taller version of a Francisco Lindor that doesn't play shortstop. But, you know, I, I mean, I like the way he plays his game and how he's, he's so outgoing. And you can see his personality on the field and how he's, um, he's happy to be there and he's happy to play with those guys. Yeah, Mr. Smiles, he goes by. Yeah, and you kind of predicted the Alonzo homer from the dugout, too. It was impressive. Yeah, I, I told I told Tori he's going to hit a home run because he had like a 10-pitch at bat, and I knew if he threw a fastball that it was going to go pretty far. All right, here's our fastball section. So there's not a lot of these, but um, you, know, you can give quick answers for these, and they're basically kind of around the fact that you've played so many sports. And one of them is, okay. you know, I think you were born in New York City. You grew up for the most part in Maryland. Then you went to high school in Rhode Island. So yeah. in all those areas and then playing all those sports, what pro athlete did you kind of model yourself after? Oh, gosh. That's so tough. I don't uh, Jim Thorpe. Oh, nice. That's Wow, that that wasn't what I was expecting. That's a great yeah, one. But, yeah. Um, okay, uh, hockey. You're obviously a very good hockey player. You could have played college hockey. You had that kind of yeah. talent. Uh, who's your all-time favorite hockey player? Hockey player? Yep. Uh, Jerome McGinley. 
All right, that's a good one. The guy played forever. Um, all right, back to soccer now, another sport that you lettered in in high school. Who's yeah. your favorite Premier League team? Oh, Chelsea. Oh, that was quick. Okay, very good. And then finally, where did the nickname Buddy come from? came from my mother. Uh, when I was first born, I think that's what she called me first, but um, my parents wanted me to be a junior, I guess, or the second, Michael Reed the second. So uh, Buddy was my first name, then they made it my nickname, and then I was Michael. So, oh, okay. so you've always been Buddy. I've always been Buddy, yeah, since All day right. one. All right, great stuff, man. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, guys. Look forward to seeing you in the future. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. All right, that was Buddy Reed, outfielder in the Padres organization. And, Jonathan, we talked about it a little bit with him, but when you look at his numbers through the minor leagues so far, um, he's been one of these guys that has hit the bumps in the road and had to overcome them and has done that so far. Um, That's always refreshing to see, and you can kind of see that – Buddy hits a little slump. It doesn't seem like it's something that's going to get him down. No, and he's going to take what he learned and and use it. Uh, I like his combination of you know his passion and his love and how you know which we saw in the futures game and referred to as his sort of general disposition and his confidence, uh, but not so confident that he thinks he can just show up and get it done. You know, he puts the work in. Jim mentioned, you know, the the time in Australia and how he put that to good work and uh, set him on his path to get him to to Double A uh, in his second full season. Uh, you know, he was a bit of a of a of a project. I mean, this is a guy who uh, could have been a top, you know, sort of first round pick. Didn't hit a ton that last year at Florida but the tools are ridiculous. He still has some work to do on, on plate discipline and, and things of that nature. Um, and I think it's going to come. I think he's going to, you know, use the time in double a and realize what he needs to work on, uh, and, and get better from, from there. And uh, one of the things that always intrigued me with him, even coming out of the draft was it's not often that you get a sort of a little bit raw, projectable toolsy guy out of, college who played for three years at one of the best college programs in the country. It's a great combination of things. And uh, I think, you know, even if he's quote unquote old 25, when he gets to the big leagues, uh, I think he still has a tremendous amount of ceiling to come. Jim, you were asked in the inbox this week about non-top 100 guys in the Arizona Fall League that uh, people should be on the lookout for and watching for. And Buddy Reed checked in for the Peoria team. And in your list, you picked one guy from each roster. Um, Arizona Fall League for him, it's just another chance to continue to catch up, right? For a guy who, who seems like he didn't play that much baseball when he was younger, and he's just playing as much as possible now. Yeah, I mean, Buddy needs at bats. I mean, that, that that's the key for him. I mean, from a tool standpoint, I mean, they're all there. Like I said, I mean, I think he's he's probably unless I'm missing somebody, I don't think there's anybody. You, you don't really talk about speed-arm combo, but I think he's probably the best speed-arm combo in the minors. He's a plus center fielder. He's got all kinds of raw power, uh, you know, switch hitter. You know, it's the hitting ability is going to be the key as to whether he's a regular and how long he lasts in the big leagues. And, I mean, this is a guy who 
who you know never really hit a lot at Florida. I mean, he played every day because he was such a good athlete, and he, and he and he patrolled the outfield. I mean, this is a guy who had a 7.37 ops in three years of college at Florida, and he, it's still a learning process for him at the plate. As Jonathan said, it comes down to the plate discipline. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy. You know, he's he's going to strike out. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who draws a ton of walks. But if you could kind of get to a, you know, I don't know, maybe a happy medium where he could, you know, maybe get the strikeout to walk ratio, you know, down to about three, then I think you could have a big league regular because I mean he he's going to give you all kinds of value on the bases and defensively, and there's power and he he just needs to get on base a little bit. So I, I, with him, it's just a case. I mean, the more at bats you can get him the better. He really struggled in double-A. He had a 465 ops there. And I think the AFL, I think Johnson and I have talked about this, if you're going to liken it to a level of baseball, it's probably equivalent to roughly double-A. So, I mean, he'll get another, you know, 75 or so, you know, at-bats at that level that he can kind of build on uh, to begin next year. So the other five guys you have picked out for the AFL that aren't in the top 100, Luis Alexander Basavi, the White Sox outfielder, Bobby Dahlbach, third baseman with the Red Sox, Dalton Varsho, catcher with the D-backs, J.B. Bukowskis with the Astros, the right-hander, and Khalil Lee, outfielder with the Royals. Jonathan, you like that list of guys? Is there anybody else that kind of stands out to you not on the top 100 that you're excited to see? That's a terrible list. I know it is a good list. I like I like that Varsho is on there. You know, <clears throat> I think, you know, uh, as we've sort of detailed before, the way we do our team top 30 lists, we each have 10 teams. So I tend to be partial to, you know, or at least know more about those sort of under the radar guys who are from the organizations that we do. And I do the Diamondbacks uh, top 30 and, uh, you know, that Jim did Varsho's draft right up because he was from him part of the country. So we both like Varsho and uh, he was a, a perfect uh, candidate to come uh, as a guy who, you know, played at, at, at an advanced level was in the, in, you know, in the California league, but also missed a bunch of time because he has a broke, had a broken hamate. Uh, but he was having a terrific year, uh, finished with 12 homers and 19 steals. He's always been as uh, guy who uh, had uh, very good speed, uh, not just for a catcher, just in general. I mean, he could play the outfield uh, if they needed him to, but his his catching improved somewhat too. So uh, the fall league is a great opportunity uh, for catchers to really work on uh, the nuances of, of that craft, and and that's the one you know one position where there's so much responsibility, and just in catching bullpens of advanced pitchers. I've, you know, I've talked to catchers over the years who say that that experience in the fall league more than anything else helped them because they're doing it. There's no pressure for them to produce in games at the same time. They're not DHing half the time and catching half the time. So uh, even if Varsha only catches a few games, uh, you know, in the fall league, and get some at-bats to make up from some at-bats, but catch has a ton of bullpens, that's going to help him immeasurably as he continues to try to show that he can stick behind the plate. All right, we got to pay tribute to the minor league champions because all the seasons are over with at this point as guys get ready to go to the AFL that are heading that way. But, uh, Jim, the AAA championship is something that has always kind of confused me a little bit because all the minor league, <laughs> there's all these minor leagues, and they all have their playoffs, and they generally, it's like best two of three or best three of five, and they have a championship. But in AAA, for some reason, the International League champion plays the PCL champion in a one-game 
uh, championship game, which is weird in baseball to do one game and not a series. But anyway, that said, Memphis routes Durham 14-4. to um, What do you do? You like the Triple A championship game? I'm going to yeah, you because you, know, was, you brought this topic up for us. Okay. Well, I was I was part of the broadcast this year, so of course I like it. I can't say otherwise. But no, it's <laughs> it's interesting, I, and I think what makes it kind of a natural is that you have two leagues. Although I want to say that back when you had three leagues, you had the American Association. Uh, you, they had a, a kind of a round robin type of deal. Um, so I think they did this even when they had a three team. Triple uh, A or three league Triple A format, but I mean it's interesting. I mean, look, it's a chance to get to see some intriguing players. I got to see Austin Meadows and talk to him. It was it was not much of a contest because after Durham beat Memphis last year, they rematched and Memphis beat them as you said, fourteen to four. But you know, you guys, I saw guys like Alex Mejia was the MVP of the game. He went five for five with five RBI. I'd seen him win a championship before. He was part of the the Arizona 2012 College World Series champions, and he was Pac-12 Player of the Year that year. Um, Lane Thomas, who was a fourth-round pick a couple years ago by the Blue Jays, and wound up uh, I think he just got sold to the to the Cardinals. Broke out this year with 27 home runs. Um, he had five RBI also, and, and and a guy who just fascinates me. Um, Colin Poche, the lefty reliever who was on our, our prospect team of the year, led the minors. Anybody in the minors who had as many innings as he did, he led it. He led the minors with a 0.82 ERA, 15.0 strikeouts per nine, second in WHIP, third opponent average, and the guy throws 91 miles an hour. But he, he gets he's just at a high spin rate. He hides the ball well, and he has great extension. I.e., he releases it so close to the plate that guys just don't hit him. And, and even though Memphis just crushed Durham. When Pochet came in, he struck out three of the four guys he faced. So I'll be really curious to see what he does next year in Tampa Bay and and whether they use him as an opener or or whatever. But guys, it's 91 miles an hour, and they just don't see it. They they can't hit it. So next year we need the double-A winners to get together in some way, maybe that round-robin thing, and then double-A to play triple-A. It'll be kind of like the Champions League playing the Europa League since we've talked about soccer on this podcast. I'm sure dying to find a sponsor that, that could become a reality, Tim. All right, we'll see, yes. we'll see what we can Let's work do. on that. If, if, Jim, you need to lead the charge, I think. I don't have the kind of power you do. But anyway, I uh, just wanted to rattle off the other champions around the minor leagues. Uh, AAA, we mentioned Memphis and Durham winning the International and PCL. Eastern League, it was New Hampshire, the Blue Jays affiliate beating Akron in the final. In the Southern League, the Jackson Generals, the D-backs team wins it. Texas League, it was the Dodgers, Tulsa Drillers. And then an advanced A, California League, Rancho Cucamongo, the Quakes, other Dodger team. The Dodgers actually winning three titles this year. Carolina League, it was the Buies Creek Astros, Houston Astros. Florida State League, the Fort Myers Miracle, which is the Twins. In the Midwest League, it was the Bowling Green Hot Rods, which are the Rays. South Atlantic League, the Lexington Legends, which are the Royals. New York Penn League in short season ball, the Tri-City Valley Cats or the Astros. The Northwest League, it was the Eugene Emeralds, which are the Cubs. And then there's so many rookie leagues. Appalachian League was Elizabethtown, the Twins. Arizona League was the AZL Dodgers. Gulf Coast League, the GCL Tigers. Pioneer League, the Great Falls Voyagers, which are the White Sox. The DR Summer League, Dominican Republic, was the DSL Rays, which are the obviously the Rays. So the Dodgers win three titles. The Rays win three titles. The Twins win two titles. Great stuff, and great job by you guys today. Good podcast. Great job by Buddy Reed.
The second half of the podcast this week focuses on the international market. We always love to have MLB.com national reporter Jesse Sanchez on to cover international topics. No one is better. Jesse has been in the Dominican Republic this week covering the MLB showcase down there. Due to extenuating circumstances, the audio quality with Jesse isn't the highest quality, but the information is fantastic. Here he is talking about the showcase, and further into the interview, he breaks down Cuban prospect Victor Victor Mesa. Major League Baseball has a long history of, you know, kind of providing a launching pad for young prospects who are going to sign when the international signing period starts on July 2nd. These are generally a 15-year-old kids. Uh, guys who have played in this has been names like Eloy Jimenez, Gleyber Torres, Wander Javier. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. And basically, MLB has provided a platform for them to showcase their talents with 60-yard runs, infield, outfield practice, batting practice, and uh, playing games in front of scouts for all 30 teams. And this year, what really has made it different, it's the first showcase under this new trainer partnership program. And what that is is a new relationship between the trainers and Major League Baseball to uh, basically the the bottom line is the goal is to enhance the relationship between the two parties and also really tackle the tough issues that face Latin America, specifically uh, PED. So what I saw this week was, you know, kind of a union of the partnership in action between the trainers, Major League Baseball, there were 150 kids playing here. Uh, the event was at the uh, Cubs Academy in Boca Chica. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a little bit of rain on the final day, but what I saw were kids really trying to, you know, impress scouts. I saw, I mean, teenagers and prospects from the upcoming, from the current class, next year's class, and the year after that. And I think what we're seeing is uh, clubs, uh, the league, and trainers are kind to are kind of just kind of showcasing these young players because, uh, you know, the market seems to be going really quickly. And uh, it was really cool to see the way Major League Baseball and these trainers are kind of working together to, you know, get issues under control and, you know, work together and create this new chapter where there's this this harmonious, you know, relationship between the two parties. And ultimately the biggest, you know, the people who benefit the most are the the teenagers, the players. So uh, it's all about them. And I think what I saw this weekend was, it was teenagers first, prospects first. Let's work together and trying to, you know, fix our system and, uh, you know, continue to build on an important part of baseball. When you say trainers, is that just like athletic trainers like we have here? Is that what you're talking about? No, I'll, you're right. Uh, let me clarify. So the trainers yeah. are they – they, in the past they've been called buscones, and in and, and Spanish that's a word for like searcher. It's basically the people or coaches – who go out there and find these young players. They put them in their academies. Uh, they train them for two or, you know, two or three years. And then they, when those guys, those players become eligible, those are the players that sign with major league clubs. And then they go into the, you know, the team academies. So trainers, I think uh, it's kind of interesting to, to see ways their, you know, their kind of label has evolved. In the past, they were called Buscones or Buscones and, you know, there were some negative connotations that kind of went along with that. And then it's evolved into trainers. And, you know, speaking to these guys now, they want to be referred to as coaches. They say, you know, we are coaches. We are invested in these children. Uh, we want them to do well. We want these teenagers to develop. Uh, you know, we are coaches. We, we run great programs. And the teenagers that, that come through our program sign you know, to become professional baseball players. So, 
when I mentioned trainers, that's kind of what they're commonly known as now. But it will be interesting to see if the uh, the coaches moniker sticks because uh, I think they're trying to distance themselves from any negative connotations that went with Luscones that went with even trainers, and they're kind of tackling this new era with, uh, you know, just this new partnership with baseball and trying to start all over and just kind of do things the right way. Yeah, I'm sure Major League Baseball would also love that, uh, get away from the negative connotation with these guys, too, because that relationship is certainly a necessary thing down there. Now, one thing I um, know came out of this week as well, Jesse, is the age requirements as far as when players can officially work out for teams. Is that correct? It got moved back. It's always been that, that magical 16-year-old age, but it's been moved back now so players can – or so teams can start watching these kids a little earlier. Right. And, and and historically, it's been, you know, a few months, you know, six months to, uh, you know, the age 16 when they can enter academies. And now, you know, teenagers can enter their academies beginning at 18 months out from the eligibility to sign. What that kind of, what that means basically is uh, maybe 14-year-olds, uh, 14-and-a-half-year-olds, you know, before they uh, become eligible to sign can spend a, a limited amount of time in the academies. It's not a full-fledged, you know, uh, evaluation period. Uh, they can only go in for a few days. But what it means is uh, Major League Baseball and, and these trainers down there are just uh, kind of putting these, these teenagers, these young men, in front of scouts at an earlier age, and what it allows teams and clubs, evaluators, to create a, a longer track record, a longer history with these guys, establish relationships. And I think one thing as part of this new trainership, trainer partnership program is that uh, these guys, it is a volunteer program, but these guys are also subject to different types of testing. So I think ultimately it's about cleaning up what is happening in Latin America, kind of fix some of the problems. And I think, uh, for the first time in a long time, both sides, Major League Baseball and the trainers, are both acknowledging that there are some issues down there. They need to work together. And I think once they allow these teenagers, these 14-year-olds, to kind of get into the system, uh, be subjected to some tests, I think they're kind of making strides toward uh, you know, an era of transparency. So that's one of the major things I really took away from uh, this week in the Dominican Republic. All right. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about is, is obviously the situation with Victor Victor Mesa, Victor Mesa Jr., uh, two Cuban players who are now officially eligible to sign with Major League Baseball teams. And obviously with all these players, it's a process to go from when they leave Cuba to when they're actually able to be signed. So when you look at the situation now, there's not that many teams, Jesse, that can really get involved in this, right, because of the timing of when they're eligible and, and the amount of money that, that or money that certain teams have remaining? Yes, you're exactly right, Tim. Because of because of their age and uh experience level, Victor Victor Mesa, he's probably the more highly touted prospect. He's twenty two. Uh his younger brother, Victor Mesa Junior, he's seventeen. They're both outfielders from Cuba and because they are subject to the international signing guidelines, um only the teams teams are using pool money to sign those guys. And these are basically the same – this is the same pool money that teams use to, to sign 16-year-old kids when they become eligible on July 2nd. And the reality is a lot of teams have already committed their money. They, a lot of teams have spent their money. But there are a few teams who still have money to spend and who could be, you know, possible landing spots for the Mesa brothers. One 
or the other. We really don't know. We haven't had a chance to speak with them. I don't know how their feelings are, if they want to stick together or if they're okay with separating. But what we know is the Orioles have over $6 million in bonus pool money left to spend. That's the most money in baseball. And I think some people are, are keeping an eye on the Orioles. The Marlins are next. They have more than $4.3 million. The Rays have 3.6. The Dodgers have around you know, $2.1 million. And those are the teams to really keep an eye on as far as the, uh, the sweepstakes for the Mesa brothers. We don't know exactly when they're going to showcase, but there has been some talk in the Dominican Republic that it could happen at the end of this month or the beginning of October. And that is a showcase that could potentially happen in the Dominican Republic or in the United States. Uh, the Mesa brothers, you know, have, you know, documentation to travel to the United States. So I really won't be surprised to see that happen in the U.S. Um, there's some talk that will happen in the Dominican. And I think we'll really know more about who these uh, young players are, where, how they're being evaluated, and, you know, what people project them to be. Victor Mesa, I mean, Victor Victor, the older brother, you know, he has a track record. You know, he was a, he's an outstanding defender. He's a great arm. He played in, you know, the Cuba City Nacional, which is the uh, pro league there. And, uh, I, but I still think Scouts really wants to see him and to see how he's come along. The younger brother, he's just 17. He also played, you know, he kind of starred on the, uh, you know, the sub teenage, you know, the teenager age teens in the Cuba, in Cuba. But I think Scouts are also curious to see how he's grown, how he's developed. Um, what type of power he has. I mean, obviously there's, there's a, a track record with both of these brothers. Their father was a, a baseball legend in Cuba on the field and as a manager. And I think it's a great subject to follow. It's probably the talk of the town in the international world. Where are the Mesa brothers going to land? And it's kind of a fascinating grouping of teams that could be in the running because when you think of the Baltimore Orioles, they're a team that in a lot of ways has kind of punted on the international market. Um, and this year it seems like they're changing that mindset because they've actually at the deadline went out and, and brought in extra bonus money, and you would think they had Victor Victor Mesa on their minds there. So so a team we're not used to seeing involved in this sort of thing in the Orioles. And then you have two Florida teams, and obviously Florida is the closest state to Cuba, so that may be a factor into it. So it's certainly uh, a great group, and it makes it, I think, a little trickier to kind of – make guesses as to where these guys could end up. Right. And I think if you're talking about the money, which and a lot of times uh, baseball, no professional sports in general, it is about the money. But uh, the Miami Marlins are a very interesting uh, team. I mean, they do have some money to spend. Obviously, there's a very large uh, Cuban community in Miami and around the ballpark. And I think Victor Victor Mesa envisions himself as a 22-year-old who is a guy who's only a couple years away from playing from you know playing in the big league, so I can see him thriving in a place like Miami, just with the community, just you know kind of where they are as far as an organization, kind of rebuilding. They have talent, and they're just kind of working towards the future. But again, these are kind of questions that will be answered as we go forward, as uh, the Mesa brothers are made available to media, as the Mesa brothers are uh, showcased in front of teams, because these are the questions teams, reporters, baseball fans want to know. What are the Mesa brothers thinking? And I think we're closer to finding out the answer. I know we don't really have the full scouting report on these guys. You just said that. But if they had been around in June and, and eligible, and, and Jesse, every year you come out with your top 30 international draft prospects, 
Where would Victor Victor have ranked if he had been around and eligible for that list this year? So Victor Victor, he's our number one prospect on the top 30 okay. international prospects list. Um, so I think that, that speaks for itself. That says how much talent he has, how highly regarded he is. And it's also based a lot on his previous track record, his history, because the reality is people haven't seen him since May, uh, since they left Cuba. So I think people are curious to see how much how developed he has been you know, over the past few months, how he has grown, what his body looks like, has he developed more power. I mean, he has a, you know, a history of having a really strong arm. He's a good runner, a decent hitter. But uh, back to your question, I think it would be fair to put him in the first round of, of the draft. You know, that's the type of talent this guy has. I, I'm not, I don't think I have enough information to say where exactly he would go. Would he go in the first half? Would he go in the second half? But I think when, when, when you have a 22-year-old guy who has a history of success, in his country and on the international front, and he has all the tools and people have been following him for so long, I think it's safe to say he would have been a first-rounder if he was eligible for the draft in June. That was Jesse Sanchez with the latest news on 22-year-old Cuban star Victor Victor Mesa, who is getting closer to finding his way into Major League Baseball. That's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Thanks to Jesse and Buddy Reed for being on the pod. Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callum, I'm Tim McMaster. Join us again next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.